Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4, and KOA News Radio. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me on the panel today, CBS4 political specialist Sean Boyd and political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on the race for Congressional District 6. The district includes much of the Denver Aurora metro area, Centennial, Littleton, as well as the northern metro area, including Brighton and Henderson. Join us for the next 30 minutes are Republican incumbent, Congressman Mike Kaufman, and Democratic challenger, Morgan Carroll. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. We have limited time, so let's get right to it. Sean, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So I have a question, a separate question for each of you. Mike, I'm going to start with sure. you. So Donald Trump has insulted many people, many groups of people, sure. the disabled, Senator McCain, the parents of a soldier who died sure. in the line of duty, Mexicans. So why did it take so long for you to say, I'm not voting for him and he should step aside? Well, number one, I never endorsed him. And I was the first in this country to put out an ad uh, disagreeing with, with Donald Trump. But the fundamental issue in this campaign is not who's going to be in the White House. I mean, th that's important in terms of who will stand up to who's in the White House. But the fundamental question really is who's going to be the Speaker of the House. Uh, one of us could very well be the deciding vote. Uh, and the question is whether Nancy Pelosi becomes the, the Speaker or, or the Speaker is a Republican. And so uh, I think that's very significant. Morgan, I want to ask you about Hillary Clinton. Much has been made of, of Donald Trump's offensive comments, but Hillary Clinton has also had one controversy after another. She's had the emails, the most recent email that she confirmed was authentic, and um, in which she said that it's okay for politicians to have a different public position than they do a private position. There's been the foundation donations from foreign governments. Um, she called Mr. Trump's supporters deplorables. What do you have to say about her ethical standards? Well, I think she was right to acknowledge on the emails that it was a mistake and not try to defend it, and I don't try and defend it either. I don't think you ever call the electorate deplorables. I think you can identify certain positions as deplorable positions. So attacking veterans or a gold star family or mocking people with disabilities or disrespecting women, those are deplorable positions. But it is always a mistake. You cannot look at the people that are out there and, you know, to be calling people deplorables. Um, so I think the important thing there is, at the end of the day, we're not really talking about just a usual Democratic choice and a usual Republican choice. What we're seeing right now, because I don't think Donald Trump represents a usual Republican choice. We aren't talking about a contest of two different ideas. I think what has been fundamentally disqualifying about him has nothing to do with conservative positions and has everything to do with a kind of open bigotry and racism and misogyny that doesn't belong in either party. The fundamental difference is that I'll stand up to the Republicans and I've stood and I have a career of standing up to Republicans but, but yet Morgan doesn't have has never really stood up to a Democrat that's not has true. never really I mean if you think about where was she no public statements about the email scandal no public statements about the private speeches before Wall Street um, you know no no public statement when she she said that the VA is fine and and Morgan knows that that's not true and so it's a question of who's going to be Partisan and who's going to be bipartisan, and I have a, I have a, um, a track record of being bipartisan. 
Morgan, do you want to respond? Did, yeah, you, did I, you step up? Did you say anything? Yeah, I mean, my entire legislative career has sometimes been a thorn in someone's side, and sometimes that's the Republican leadership, sometimes it's the Democratic leadership, sometimes it's wealthy special interest groups. But the only reason I was able to get lobbying reform through, that meant standing up to both mm. Democratic leadership and Republican leadership. When we got an aerial firefighting fleet, that was opposed by Democratic leadership in the House, Democratic leadership, the governor's office, the budget. And when we created the first aerial firefighting fleet in Colorado, it's because I teamed up with a Republican to get it done. So I have a long track record of not only bucking my own party when principle requires, but actually reaching across the aisle in order to Never get stood up to Hillary Clinton. Boom. Never once. Let's go ahead and keep it rolling. Eric, next question. I can tell we're going to have a dull debate here. Uh. <laughs> um, let me, let's talk about a substantive issue here. Let's talk about immigration. Uh, there are sure. very few congressional districts in the country that are as diverse as the 6CD here, and I'm not just talking about Latino diversity, sure. all kinds of diversity. I'll start with you on this one, Morgan. Any solution, any resolution to the immigration issue has to include some serious enforcement, and yet that seems to have been the bugaboo for Democrats to really demonstrate that they are serious about enforcement in order to get to other parts of any package. Where are you on border enforcement, and how do you convince voters that Democrats are serious about that piece of it? So, as you mentioned, this has one of the highest numbers of immigrants of any of the districts that we have. So the main thing that I hear from constituents in the district is it's slow, has a lot of red tape, it's expensive. I think everyone agrees the current immigration system is broken. I think we've come closest to a bipartisan immigration package when we have contemplated that border security is part of a bigger picture about making sure that we have faster vetting and background checks for what's going forward. But it must include a comprehensive... This is so broken fundamentally at every part of the system that there isn't a way to piecemeal and pick and choose this. So for me in this district, I think we need comprehensive immigration reform. I think that means a pathway to citizenship. I think it means revisiting what the process is when people here on lawful visas expire. Do we or don't we require people to leave before they come back and reapply? Um, so I think it means passing the DREAM Act at the federal level. I think it means getting a pathway to citizenship. But the time it takes for people who are waiting, who are separated, is impossible to justify. And there is no solution here that doesn't take a look at the impact that this is having on families. So for people in our community, this isn't a someday Congress should get around to it. It's every day they are separated from a wife, from a husband, from a child, from a parent. And so I think every Every attempt we've seen that could lead to a bipartisan package here, of course, includes enforcement on border security, but it has to be focused on respecting the humanity and the integrity of the families in our district. And my corollary question, and you can respond to Morgan, obviously, but the Republican caucus seems to be all in on enforcement and less wholehearted on other pieces of this. How do you ever get a comprehensive package through your sure. caucus? So I think I think both sides are wrong. I think on the on the left, uh, it's it's we have to have everything or nothing gets done, and on the right, uh, we want to we want a step by step process. But where's the first step? Uh, I think there's no question we have to secure our borders. Uh, we have to have immigration laws that are going to grow our economy, and we have to keep families together. I think one of the, um, the, the big issues, why I disagreed with that uh, Senate pass bill, that so-called bipartisan bill, is the fact that it did nothing to toughen. It, certainly we've got to fix our broken immigration system, legal or illegal, but 
almost half of illegal immigration today is uh, visa overstays. And it's, there's just no, I mean, there's no penalties for doing that. I mean, it's essentially a civil penalty, and people never show up for court. Uh, we've got to strengthen those laws. But what we need is an opportunity for people to come out of the shadows that are here. And, I, and have a legalized status. And I'm very sympathetic towards the children. Uh, I've introduced legislation to allow uh, undocumented children to be able to enlist in the United States military and have a pathway to citizenship from their military uh, service. Uh, introduced broader legislation uh, over the uh, last summer that would um, uh, take, uh, take the DACA children and, and make them eligible for a permanent legal status and then give them uh, uh, an opportunity, a path to permanent residency through education, through work history, and through military service. The problem with that approach is even United We Dream opposes it because you're still separating families. It's a symbolic gesture where at the end of the day, if you deal with the children and help the parents, you have the same result, a broken system well, that, and families well, torn well, apart. That's right. You didn't listen because what I said was that there ought to be a period of time where people that haven't violated laws other than immigration laws have an opportunity to come out of the shadows and have a legalized status to include the adults who knowingly broke the law. Um, but then I think we, gotta, we have to move to a new system. Uh, that has, in fact, tougher laws. Uh, it, you know, again, uh, where we have to secure our borders, uh, have to have policies to grow the economy, and, and have to keep families together. Sean? So you both know that I fact-check political ads. Sure. Um, so here you're sitting, what, maybe a couple feet, maybe not even that, next to each other Want to move closer? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What do you have to say about the integrity and authenticity of the ads that are running sure. against the two of you? And sure. Morgan, you want to start sure. this one? Yeah, so our ads have been running on who I am and why I'm running and why I think it's important to stand up against somebody like Donald Trump or somebody who wouldn't stand up to Donald Trump when every segment I can think of in my community that deserves a champion is being denigrated or insulted. But my ads are running on who I am, what I'm for, and what we have in there is based on things that have actually been done and said by Mike Kaufman and by Donald Trump. Well, she has to make it about Donald Trump because she can't... Um the argument that one veteran in the Colorado delegation is one too many and six lawyers is just not enough and somehow six out of nine we really need seven out of nine and, and not only do we need another lawyer we need a personal injury uh, lawyer who in the state legislature and this was the basis of an ad that we did uh, was a walking conflict of interest and now you want to say technically uh, according to the ethics manual of the state legislature which Morgan Carroll in their leadership position had a role in, in crafting uh, that was written by legislators for legislators, but the fact is that I think that she's done a lot of harm to the Colorado economy. She's hurt a lot of families by representing the interests of the most unethical, uh, unscrupulous uh, lawyers in the state of Colorado. And I think you should be ashamed for saying it. Oh, absolutely not. You have failed not one, not two, not three but four fact checks, and you continue to use oh. the same misinformation. No, the, the work post, I the have Denver done has been as an advocate, and I'm speaking right oh, now, the work okay. I have done has been an advocate for individual people when they are wronged against sure. big business or big government. Well, and the rights that the founders of this country sure. created in the Constitution, sure. including the Seventh Amendment right to mm -hmm. a jury trial, 
If you pull people out of the system who are advocates for the people who need it, right. they get steamrolled. Here's so the, saying yeah. that this is a walking sure. conflict of interest, no, this is important in saying. Yeah. So, I have never had a single ethics complaint filed yeah. against me in because my career. Because the way the rules are. You have. But if you, you look have. at... One if, of us on no. this stage has had ethics violations, one after the other. Not me, so That was but based you. on Attorney General's advice that I followed. The, here's the thing. That... Let's look at construction defects. The fact is that, that Morgan Carroll will tell you she represented a little person, the, ho the, the homeowner, uh, against the, these evil construction people. There's got to be a balance. There has to be consumer protections. And, and there are a lot of good people that do what you do. But here's the problem, that the law is written that is so uh, cited on, on benefiting th those in the legal profession, who I believe are unscrupulous, that in fact home building for condominiums and townhomes, for, for lower-priced homes, for first-time buyers, for families trying to achieve the American dream, has stopped in Colorado, is frozen in Colorado, in favor of the trial lawyers. That is not a balance. And Morgan Carroll, under her leadership, has, has harmed the, the Colorado economy. So the to only two choices in terms of new construction now are either you, you rent in an apartment building or you have to buy a more expensive single-family detached home, but but that's just not a balance. The and you fought for that, and it's wrong. Construction defects is not. When you are looking to build affordable housing, you don't solve affordable housing by saying you can make it substandard and defective. Allowing defective construction for either tenants or homeowners is not a solution for affordable housing. The Period. realtors want a balance, and right now, let me tell you, the, the people are paying more. Uh, for rent than they ought to. They're paying more to, to have a home than they ought to. I mean, this is about achieving the American dream. And Morgan Carroll has, has just been in a blocking position for that, not on behalf of, of homeowners, as she says, but on behalf of travelers. And so she's used her position. That's wrong. Her, benefited her law firm. You don't know why firm. I run That's what a fiction. I run, That's just a fiction. That you don't just get to make up let's my keep, motives. Let, let's mm -hmm. keep rolling to the next question. Eric? Well, I can see we're probably not going to move these chairs closer together anytime soon, but <laughs> no, stay, stay put. Uh, let's go to a, go broader here and less political. Let's talk about the federal debt of this country. Sure. Last I looked, there was $19 trillion, trillion with the T, fast climbing to 20 and into the 20s. As people wiser than me have said, you have one party here that's in love with tax cuts. You have right. one party that is in love with government mm -hmm. programs. Convince us, we'll start sure. with you, Mike, that you and your party sure. are serious and up to mm -hmm. this challenge. So I'm in a group uh, in Washington. First of all, the Luger Center has ranked me the 25th most bipartisan member of Congress. I'm in a group called No Labels. It is, a, it is not necessarily a large group, but we hope to grow it as Republicans and Democrats that have, that have come together to try and find common ground. So on this issue, uh, our common ground is to say Republicans have to yield on revenue and, and Democrats are going to have to yield on spending. Because I believe that the greatest threat to our national security is, in fact, our debt. It, and, and Admiral Mullen, testifying before the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, when asked what is the greatest threat to, to America, people expected he was going to say ISIS or he's going to expect to say nuclear weapons. He said that the, that the growing national debt of this country is the greatest threat to our national security. Morgan? Convince us that you personally and the Democratic Party is willing to make the necessary sacrifices to deal with this issue. Well, we have to start by acknowledging we have a problem. And from my experience in the last 12 years, I've seen that it is possible to run a bipartisan, balanced budget 
every year. It's not impossible. There's no reason Congress shouldn't be able to run and pass a bipartisan budget every year. So part of the issue of getting to the debt, which is cumulative, is starting with the work we can do on the short term on the annual, which is the deficit. So I think a couple places that we can start that I think we do seriously need to take a look at are tax equity itself. Right now, I think we need to restructure a tax code so that we've got more billionaires, large corporations paying their fair share so we can ease up a little bit on the middle class tax burden for what's there. We keep seeing report after report, sometimes 27 of the most profitable corporations paying no taxes at all. So that's a piece of it. But we do have to address spending as well. There is no one side of this ledger sheet that works without the other, and we're not going to eliminate the debt in a year. But we should be setting benchmarks where we can reduce it every year. And so I think we have the potential for finding common ground where, well, let's figure out what's wasteful. Let's look at data, what's not working. Um, let's start with closing the loopholes that are essentially rewarding lobbyists and special interests on the way through and, and really at the expense of regular working people throughout the process. I'm glad that Morgan Carroll agrees to a balanced budget amendment to the Constitution because that's what the state of Colorado has. Thank you. Well, let's, 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 let's get to our next question. Uh, thanks to the ARP for this next one. They're one of the sponsors that makes this show possible. What do you think is the greatest challenge with Social Security's longtime future? Morgan, we'll start with you. I think we've got a couple. Um, we need to make sure that we have the earnings and the workforce for our young people. We do this as a multi-generational balancing act. So we need to have high enough employment levels at high enough wages for our millennial and future generations to make sure that we're solvent to be able to support existing generations and commitments. So it behooves us on every kind of level to make sure that happens. But I do think we should be open to exploring, for example, the cap. Um, at some point, we stop pulling funds in on earnings above a certain level, and I think that that winds up hurting the solvency and revenue of Social Security. We have so many people in this district in this state that depend on Social Security for retirement, and I've done most of my practice has been on disability work and Social Security disability, and between either widows, orphans, or disability claims, uh, the Social Security Act has been one of the best things that this country has actually done for the economy. Uh, so we can't be reckless with it. We can't play games. But I think if we were to combine on trying to really make sure that we had enough of a growth base on the economy from younger folks and maybe be open to revisiting lifting the upper end cap would help bring in some revenue to help shore up the solvency of Social Security. Mike. Well, Social Security is divided in two, into two parts. Uh, one is... Uh, uh, obviously for seniors, but the other one's a disability program, and the disability program uh, was facing insolvency uh, last year, and uh, since uh, in the 1990s when trial lawyers uh, were able to add in uh, depression and soft tissue uh, injuries, uh, that it just exploded. And so uh, I saw it as an opportunity to reform the system. Clearly, we wouldn't want to take care of those who, who really need it, but uh, it's become sort of a cottage industry, and, and it's seen as an early retirement package for too many people. And so uh, I voted against the, the budget deal that was before us because what it did, it diverted part of the pay. Instead of reforming the disability system, it reverted part of the payroll tax from Social Security for seniors to the disability program, further destabilizing the program for seniors. Uh, Morgan Carroll will, will, will fight to, not only to prevent reform, but to make the situation worse. I will fight for reform. 
and I fight for people with disabilities, uh, the reality is the standard is very tough and that people pay into Social Security and they earn a disability insurance policy. You can't take one person's word for it. It is independent physicians and judges that make the ultimate decision with a pretty high burden of proof as to whether someone's disabled. A lot of abuse. And so you have to say the doctors are in on a scheme and judges are in on a scheme and everybody's part of a conspiracy. Um, And so at the end of the day, I think what I'm hearing is Mike Hoffman would be willing to gut the disability protections that workers pay in the event they become disabled. I will will fight to reform it to take care of those truly in need. All right. Sean, next question. There's been a lot of talk about the cost of higher education these days. I want to get both of your thoughts on debt-free college, which Bernie Sanders talked about, Hillary Clinton has now vowed to do. Um, Mike, do you want to start? Well, first of all, I, I'm very worried about the, the level of debt and its harm to the economy and, and the impact on these young people. And so I've, I've supported legislation, uh, co-sponsoring legislation right now, that would allow them to refinance uh, the, the debt to a lower interest rate. But also I think what we have to look at is, and, and certainly I've been in discussion with my colleagues about, we need to emphasize more skills-based training. Uh, my father never went to college for a single day. He went to heating and air conditioning repair school for a year and uh, then, then was basically able to start his own small business after a while. And so it was very successful. He's passed away. The business is still uh, ongoing. But, uh, so when, but when people study things, unfortunately, and they're encouraged to do so, that doesn't lead to a job that will enable them to pay the, that back. I think we, we need to take that under serious consideration. Morgan, what are your thoughts? I think this is one of the leading economic crises for our country and for a generation. So students are facing $1.3 trillion in student debt right now. It has surpassed credit card debt. And I am open to a variety of different ways that would improve that. And whether that's debt-free college, there's no reason Congress can't lower the interest rate. In fact, it had been temporarily reduced from the approximately 7% it is now to 3.4. And when it came time to renew that, people like Congressman Kaufman voted against it. And when you vote to cut things like Pell Grants, like Congressman Kaufman has, it actually makes college more expensive. So whether it's how to fund trade schools, vocational schools, or higher ed, this isn't just a situation like mine where I can work all the way throughout school and still graduate with $70,000 of student debt. But that is now modest compared to what many people right now in the current generation are facing, which is blocking opportunities both to either go or be saddled with a lifetime of debt. Congress's failure to act here is nearly unforgivable. There's no reason for this to be a a partisan issue. Um, The interest rate is squarely within the control of Congress. I'd like to see us reduce it more towards the 1% that we charge banks when we lend money there. We don't need to make more money off of students than we do off of banks. I think we should make it easier for people to refinance so they could restructure under the more favorable terms and consider expanding things like targeted loan forgiveness programs so that we can get the education we need, get people lined up in the high-need areas, and maybe provide a little bit of financial relief along the way. Uh, we have just a little bit of time before our closing statements, actually just a few seconds, so if you have a, a very quick question, Eric. Very quick question, hopefully a quick answer. I'll give you three choices. Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter. Morgan? Black lives and blue lives matter. Uh, Black Lives Matter because the epidemic we're facing right now, I believe, is very real of a problem with racial profiling that is happening not just in law enforcement but across the country. And until we recognize the fact that we are seeing too many black and brown men and women who are often unarmed, killed or assaulted in the process, 
but there's never going to be an excuse, no matter how strongly I support that, for taking the life of a member of law enforcement whose job is to serve and protect and keep us safe. Thank you, Sean. Well, as a matter, I was with, I'm, I'm going to be endorsed by the Aurora Police uh, Association, uh, the union uh, for police, and, and they're very worried. They're, they're afraid to do their job right now, that, and, and uh, uh, I'm and concerned about their safety. So there, there really does have to be a balance, and, uh, and, and certainly uh, it's a concern on both sides. It is time for our closing statements. We ask each of our candidates for a one-minute closing statement. We flip a coin before the debate to determine order. So that means, uh, Morgan, you're going first. One minute. The floor is yours. Thank you. I'm running for Congress because I care. And like most people in my district, Congress is broken. What we've seen is one of the most dysfunctional, most partisan Congresses in this country's history. And if I listen to the things that people are concerned about, Congress hasn't been taking it up. We need change. For me, what this is about, I wouldn't be running if I were happy with the direction Congress were going right now. I've spent too long talking to too many families where we know what we really need to be focusing on is expanding educational opportunities, economic opportunities. Congress should be there protecting individual liberties and freedoms, and they should be there to grow allies, not enemies, around the world. People are frustrated of having a do-nothing Congress that is more busy in either undermining a president or scoring cheap political partisan points rather than taking up the urgent issues of the day on their behalf. Thank you, Morgan. Mike. As a combat veteran in Congress, I, I've led the fight against the, the culture of corruption and bureaucratic incompetence uh, within the Veterans Administration that has denied the care uh, that our veterans uh, need and deserve. I've also used my military background uh, to challenge the Department of Defense on, on wasteful spending. If any dollar spent by the Pentagon that's wasted is a dollar not spent protecting our country. I believe that the greatest threat to our national security uh, is, is our nation's debt. And I will continue to work with Republicans and Democrats for a balanced budget requirement to stop Washington from spending money that we do not have. I have worked uh, on a bipartisan basis uh, to find common ground between Republicans and Democrats to get things done in Washington. And I will continue to challenge whoever is in the White House, regardless of party, to protect the, the best interests of Colorado and in our country. I'm a Marine Corps combat veteran and a former small business owner, and I would deeply appreciate your vote this election. Thank you. That is all the time we have for our look at the Congressional District 6. I'd like to thank our candidates for joining us, Congressman Mike Kaufman and Morgan Carroll. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Sean Boyd and Eric Sonderman. If you would like to get more information about the general election races and ballot issues, please visit our websites at cpt12.org, cbsdenver.com, and koanewsradio.com. Be sure to tune in next week for debates covering the Denver District Attorney's race and the cigarette tax. Stick around for both sides of the story semifinals round. Jack Cohen from Denver East takes on Colton Barda of St. Mary's High School on whether communities should ban fracking. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.